Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, founder of Alzheimer Speaks resource website, blog, and radio. My passion is to educate the world about Alzheimer's and memory loss, and that came to me through my mother's 30-year journey with dementia. For those of you that are new to the show, I just want to give you a brief introduction to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. Our goal here is to give voice to those afflicted with memory loss and empower them to live purpose-filled lives. We want to raise awareness, give hope, and share the real, everyday life stories of living with Alzheimer's disease. Our channel expert living with Alzheimer's is Rick Phelps, and I never know if he'll be able to pop in with us or not during a show. If so, I will definitely pull Rick in. Rick is the founder of Memory People on Facebook, and if you haven't checked out that group, I highly encourage you to do so. It's a closed group, so you have to ask to be invited in, but once you do, um, then you will be privy to private conversations between people with early memory loss, their caregivers, both professional and family and advocates in general. It's it's really a, quite an amazing group. On our homepage on the show on Blog Talk Radio, you'll find there's buttons to go ahead and like us and tweet about us and, and share these episodes. And I encourage you to do that because, like many things, you know we're working on a shoestring budget here. Um, but our goal is to pull the world together and to work for a common cause. And so we need your help. And we would love you to be able to to participate on that level. In addition, we want to hear your voice. And so if you have comments or questions, please, um, if you're listening to us via the Internet, you can use your chat box and just make a comment or a question, and I will be reviewing that as we're on the air live. Um, Or if you want to ask a question, uh, you can call this number. And that is 714-364-4757. Again, that's 714-364-4757. And we would absolutely love to hear from you. Um, today we have, uh, I, I'm very excited about our guest today. We have we have two fabulous guests. Um, the first, who is going to be on the show with us, is actually in India. <clears throat> and he is making some incredible headway and has a passion to really help conquer uh, this disease called dementia. And his name is Silish, and it's his last name, I'm hoping I won't crucify it, is Misha Ra. And he is the founder and president of Silver Inning Foundation, which is an NGO, which is an equivalent here in the U.S. to a non-for-profit. And he works with the elderly, and he's had 15 years of hardcore marketing experience in the corporate world, and in the last six, he's actively been involved in working with the elderly. His organization, Silver Innings, which has been in existence since 2008, is a social enterprise that's working towards creating an elder-friendly world where aging becomes a positive and rewarding experience. And I know for myself, 
as I creep up that ladder of age, I find that really exciting. Um, he left his well-paying corporate job um, to join uh, his work and his passion um, in dealing with seniors. And he believes the most um, neglected and ignored segment is this elder population. His work is in the field of dementia, and he uh, he's just doing some really cool things. He has uh, effectively used ICT, which is basically social media or uh, information communication technology um, to really network, do his PR and his advocacy to reach out to the civil society all over the globe. He has been awarded um, in 2008 a national award for his dedication for his work with the elderly and he has been nominated for um, several different things. So he he's just making this massive difference, and he comes from um, from a different place, which I, I find very interesting in terms of our our cultures, in terms of what is happening around the world. So many times we focus on our differences, but there are so many things and causes and needs around the world that are similar. So welcome welcome to the show, Silas. I'm so grateful to have you with us today. How are you doing? Uh, good morning, Glory, and thank you for the wonderful uh, introduction. And Merry Christmas to you and all the uh, listeners, and namaste to all Indians who are listening to the show. Well, great. We are so excited to have you with us today. Um, I have talked with you a few times, um, and we've actually met through the Internet, um, which I know is one of your fortes, and I, you know, I believe it's one of mine, too, um, is trying to connect with people worldwide. But to start out, um, I always like to ask this question before we kind of jump into the crux of... of um, okay. Your company. Can you tell us about yourself, and do you have a personal connection to Alzheimer's disease and dementia at all? Uh, no, uh, I don't have any connection with Alzheimer's dementia. Uh, I have done my graduation uh, in BA economics. I am not a social worker. I am not a psychologist. I am not a doctor. Uh, I am just a simple person. Came from a village near Mumbai city. And I came to study in the college and uh, did my graduation, got my job, uh, did, got a sales job as a sales trainee, did five, 15 years of marketing. And after doing 15 years of work, I literally was bored up because I was not happy what I was doing. And I thought uh, my contribution is nil to the society and the, to the country. And because I come from the village, my mother has always taught me that forget yourself for others, and others will never forget you. And that is my motto, what I'm doing. Um, you know, after my uh, work in marketing, I joined, I wanted to do something and contribute to the society. I joined uh, not-for-profit as a volunteer, and there I experienced working with senior citizens. 60-plus population, and 
that is how I got connected to um, senior citizen. And in one of the facilities when I was in charge, I was chief of project building a retirement township there. Uh, I came across with dementia and Alzheimer uh, suffering people. And, and then I thought, uh, these are the people who are, uh, in fact, hungry for love and care, and the family was not there. And that was my connection. Wonderful. Well, and I, I think, you know, how we get connected is, is important. And I, and I love that, you know, you stated, you know, you were kind of bored and it, you, you felt it's time to give back. You know, you wanted to be an yes. active participant in society. And I, I just think yes. that that's very commendable. So I thank you for, for joining forces with us and, and stepping up to the plate because there's a lot of risks in doing that, especially when you come from a corporate world and, you know, you've yes. made good money and now all of a sudden you feel this need to shift. And so um, thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about your organization and how did it start and um, who, you know, maybe mm-hmm. – Who's involved with you when you when you went to kick this off? Who were founding members? Okay, uh, when I uh, uh, you know working with them, I was telling you about the marketing experience and joined uh, the organization as a volunteer. The same organization respected my work and they uh, you know enjoyed and liked my work so much. They in fact employed me. And um, I started working there as a, a chief of project for the township. And uh, as I told you earlier, I got inspired and passionate with the elder care and dementia Alzheimer's. Uh, after working two, two years in that organization, uh, I realized because I have spent 15 years in doing some uh, work and again working two years for somebody else, uh, why not do something uh, of myself, uh, where I'm a boss, and uh, I would like to do something which I like, and the passion would I had developed uh, for elder care, uh, I would like to take ahead. And uh, I thought in doing work, during the working uh, in this uh, particular organization who was working with elder care, I found the gap and a vacuum in uh, aging domain in India there are hardly any information available uh, for elderly in India, uh, whether you want to look for old, old age home, or caregivers, medical doctor, elder care product. You have to search numerous websites. There were hardly any websites. Uh, you have to uh, go to the uh, companies, telephone companies, ask for the phone number, look for yellow pages, and it was so difficult. I thought the best way will be to compile all the information on a single website and make a one-stop destination. And that is how I uh, wanted to do something on the Internet uh, because I thought that was the easiest way I could um, reach out to people and I can provide information on the uh, single window or single uh, website. Uh, I contacted my friend, one of my friends, and I asked him, what should I do? because I want to develop a website. He said, don't do that now because you uh, you don't know anything about the website, how to do it. You have an idea. I said, yeah, of course, I have, I have an idea and I would like to help people uh, because they need help. Uh, so he asked me to start a blog and I started um, my, you know, you can call it silver innings from starting a blog called People for Social Cause Blog. 
it has uh, around four years now, more than one lakh hits, and it is about all the social causes um, on the blog. It is children, women, elderly, all kind of social issues are uh, blogged, and I post a lot of articles from different uh, websites and different uh, newspapers. Uh, there, after doing working for six months on this blog, I understood the uh, funda of uh, web making a website, how to make an elder-friendly website, what are things to be integrated into the website, what, what, how it will work, how it will be updated. So uh, then I was ready after six months, and I said I should uh, start a, a website, uh, and then I asked people, uh, people, I'm talking as senior citizens because if they are the stakeholders, I can't decide something on my own. So I talked to some senior citizens group, and there is a wonderful group called Society for Serving Seniors, SSS Global. And Dr. Vyasa Murthy is one of the most inspiring person I've ever met. He's around 70 plus. Um, and he, he, he keeps, it's actually one of the most active Yahoo group in the world. And I asked him, you know, can you suggest three names? He said to me that, do you put, please post this on this uh, Yahoo group. And I got around 105 names uh, uh, to, you know, start a website or enterprise. Uh, and Silver Innings was one of the names we selected. Doing all this, uh, there were two, three people who, were uh, inspiring me and, you know, part of this think tank. One is uh, Ms. Hendi Lingaya. She's a clinical psychologist, and she was my ex-colleague working with, in the same organization we are working together. Uh, she's in France today in Paris. And other is Professor Parul Kibliwala. She's a nursing professor. And other person is Bhave Cheda, uh, the website designer, and Mr. Chitranjan Sharma, a mechanical engineer. We all came together and thought about this unique idea, and they said, Sailesh, go ahead and do what you think is right, because you are the right person and you have a passion. And Hendy and myself, uh, we started thinking on this website, and some of other friends, uh, I would like to name it Shobha Khandekar, she's a journalist, she helped, she helped us to edit some of the pages. and. We compiled a website that, ha that has around 10,000 documents. It's called silverinnings.com. We started in April 2008, and it has all the section, whatever is required information about aging in India, aging in U.S., aging in U.K., about dementia, Alzheimer's, health-related issues, the directory of old age home, the directory of doctors, the retirement, the family issues. Everything was posted on the single platform, and I thought uh, my work is done, but what happened, and because we were on the internet, and because we, are, we were on the domain, people started calling us, people started emailing us about the issues, the problem they had, or they wanted some information, so we ended up around getting around 150 emails every day, around five to six calls every day, and then we thought it's not enough to have a hosting a website, and we have to be on the ground. People need us because we have to understand in India there are four or five NGOs, organizations who are actively working for aging in India. So there is a huge vacuum because the population of senior citizens in India is 100 million at present. 
So, so far organization can't do anything. One silver inning also can't do anything. But then we thought we should enter this area, and then we founded a not-for-profit organization called Silver Inning Foundation, and then we started groundwork also. This is how it started. But very important, as you said earlier, we we are using social media, ICT, information communication technology, as one of the very important tools to reach out to people all over the world because it also connects to the youth, today's youth, and it's easier to connect to them and then to the family. And I am using my PR, networking, and advocacy skills I had with my marketing experience and helping the cause and for senior citizens. And in this way, I could, you know, we could establish Silver Running in, in, in around three years. We are a brand name now, and people respect us. And earlier, if people used to discredit us. But now people are coming ahead. They want to network with us. They want to collaborate with us. Uh, this is what Silver Running and what we have done. Oh, that is wonderful. I mean, because when you think, it's really been a short time. If you started in 08, you know, it's only yes. been... Three years, um, you've made big yes. progress. I know when I started, um, you know, my journey in this as well, which uh, was, I don't know, you know, I don't even remember. I want to say it was 08, oh, it might have even been 09 when I started. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I I would hear from people all over the world too, and there really is a need to join forces yes. because they're, we're all struggling with the same types of things. I was reading a um, a blog article that um, Hendy had written, and she was talking about the poor awareness um, over yes. in India. And, you know, families are really struggling in terms of how to yes. give care and, and that many don't even know that, that it's medically related. And um, yes. can, can you explain uh, in a little bit more detail, I guess, what's, what it's like for a family? I mean, how do they get diagnosed? Can they afford to get diagnosed? Can they afford care? Or is it really just kind of all tossed on the family? Okay. Uh, first of all, I think the basic thing, as uh, you must have read from the blog also, uh, Alzheimer and dementia in India, uh, we don't think this as a medical problem. Uh, because there is a lack of awareness, as you rightly said, and mm-hmm. people don't relate it to the medical problem or clinical problem. They think it's a part of aging. So okay. this becomes very important aspect because when you don't think as a medical problem, then you don't go ahead and do the treatment. So they think it's a part of aging, and there's a, a word in Hindi, the language I speak, it's called satya daya. That means a person has become little mad. So they think as you age, you will go mad and you lose some of your brain. And it's okay. So uh, that was really okay. Also very important, India as and also Southeast Asia I'm talking about, we have a very good family structure, family institution, the joint family structure. So we, like my family, when I was staying in the village near Mumbai, still, still we are staying together. Uh, we are more than 50 people living together. So okay. where I have a mother, father, my uncle, my aunties, my cousins, everybody staying together. So what happens, the person, a woman, a disabled person or children or widow 
or person who has any mental or physical disability get absorbed in the family he or she doesn't have any issues because there are numerous people who who could take care of the person i remember one of my grandmother's sister uh, we had this early child marriages earlier in india so uh, her husband died when she was 11 years old and she came back and stayed with our family and till her death uh, 87 years she was staying in our house in palgar where i stay in the village and she was perfectly okay she was look after and she never felt that uh, she was alone or uh, and uh, there were no caretaking issues so people used to take care of the elderly in the family but now things have changed because mm-hmm. we are going into globalization or you know the migration is happening people need to work uh, india is changing too fast after 1995 we are adopting technology we are adopting new things so a joint family is disintegrating now so we are more into a nuclear family structure so there now a problem starts with alzheimer and dementia person if somebody is there in the house second very important aspect i would like to relate is alzheimer and dementia the word itself is indians look at it as a western terminology is a western word is english word nowhere in, in hindi or any language we have anything similar word which could which could describe the symptom of alzheimer and dementia so that again because uh, we, when we say somebody when we diagnose somebody are you suffering from alzheimer dementia it's very hard to convince somebody that this is a problem this is the name of the disease and they don't know how to spell it most of the doctors don't know how to spell alzheimer they, they may say something else so they don't differentiate between dementia and alzheimer so that's a huge challenge because we think this is a western disease that has come from some west country and this is not indian so you get lot many question people asking you and it's really tough and hard time to convince people that this is a brain disease and this need to be treated there is no cure or many other things uh, goes to it yeah okay interesting yeah it's i i mean we think we have it tough here and and yet um we're you know i i think we're definitely ahead in terms of the awareness piece um here in the US and and we yeah. still don't think we're even close to what we <laughs> what we need <laughs> um but at least people understand for the most part that it is you know a medical condition you know but years ago you know when my mom first got this um or had signs of it um mm-hmm. you know and that was 30 years ago people used to just call it senile or going crazy and there was nothing yeah. you could do and and that was just kind of the attitude and so You know, when I look at that 30 years, we have come a long, long ways, even though uh, personally I feel that, you know, there's a long ways to go. Well, let's hear more about about what you're doing. Can you tell us um, about, um, well, we kind of talked about some of the challenges and stuff that, that the aging uh, population has mm-hmm. over there in, in India. Can you tell us um, as far as... family structure goes um you know who who is a primary caregiver or is it pretty much shared you know throughout okay. the family 
because here in the U.S., we tend to end up having, I think for the most part, and again, I'm I'm categorizing um, because it's not like this in every situation, but I think for the most part, Mm -hmm. there tends to be one person in the family that kind of takes the lead um, in giving care. How does that work in India? Yeah, yeah. India, as I was telling you, that we still have the joint family structure uh, intact in the rural India because we have to understand the aging structure in India, aging as a family structure. 70% of the Indian population still live in the rural area. And being in the city like Mumbai, what city I am, and there are semi-urban structures, there are no nuclear families. Nuclear families, I mean to say, myself, my wife, my daughter. So this are this are the nuclear family, uh, yeah. But in the villages or semi-urban structure, there are grandparents, there are uncles, there are children and grandchildren living together. So everybody takes care. But most of the homes, uh, we have the son get married. I have got married to my wife. And if something happens to my mother and dad, so my wife is a primary caregiver. The daughter-in-law becomes a primary caregiver in the home. Most of the Indian homes, it is a daughter-in-law who cares for the mother-in-law and the father-in-law. When you get married in India, the the girl has to come and stay with the son's family, the husband's family, and that okay. is the way the structure is. Yeah. So you have to the girl leaves the her parents' house and she has to come and stay with the uh, husband's house, and there she becomes a important girl, lady in the house and she look after not only house daily household routine, she look after the parents, she look after the husband, she look after the son and manages the house. But things again are changing. This is very important. As I said earlier, we are changing and we are you know, adopting a lot of new things and because of the uh, change of global structure, uh, the women in India have started going to work so a family can't depend on the single person salary. It they has to be two or three person earning in the family now because inflation, the price rise has gone high. People expectation has gone high. You you are more into luxury. People get money good money in working in the call center and other places. So here now the woman in the house has started going out and working. This is very good for the female population and we in India, in fact, are empowering the women here and you know, allowing her to you know, be equal with the men uh, and trying to change the, again, the social strata. But because women are going house, so there is no caregiver in the house. Now the problem arises. Now, example, we get around um, 10 calls every day or 10 emails and calls, you can say, every day asking for the caregivers asking for the bureaus who can provide us the maid or the care, paid caregivers because it is very hard to find. In this case, what happens when both are working, one person has to leave his job and be at home and look after the parents. Then you don't get the salary what you were getting. There is economic problem in the house and then the frustration goes and then many things happen and family are not ready to listen because there are hardly any facilities and services available in India for dementia and Alzheimer's family or person who's suffering. There are hardly um, dementia home in India. There are hardly uh, any care centers in India, daycare centers or care care providers, home care services. 
So it is very difficult for the person to stay at home, look after the parents. It's getting difficult and the frustration is going high. So I think this is a big challenge we all are facing. Okay, okay. Why don't you tell us um, about Silver Innings Foundation and, you know, what are some of your projects and challenges that you're dealing with? Yeah. Uh, we actually, we are doing a lot of things, but I think I will talk about Omini of Alzheimer and dementia on this program. Um, okay. The first and the most important thing we do, and we uh, we recognize this fact because there was an India Dementia Report by, by AIDSI Alzheimer's Society of India in 2010, and it it listed as the first document of in, in the line of uh, National Dementia Strategy of UK, where we made the document and presented to government of India to make a policy dedicated for Alzheimer's and dementia in India. In that policy, in that um, report, the most important aspect was creating awareness to the lack of awareness. The first thing Silver Reading Foundation does is to create awareness among the elders, that is senior citizens, among the family members, and we don't leave youth out of it. So we also go to schools and colleges and try to create awareness. Senior citizens, how we reach, there are a lot of clubs and associations and organizations who are working with senior citizens are, are made by senior citizens. We go there and give lectures or small talk. We have made a small presentation on local language, Marathi, Hindi, or, and we talk in the local language, and we try to explain them about what is dementia, Alzheimer's. And then after that um, talk, we also do a memory test. It is a MMSC test, a mini-mental test, or one-minute test. We try to see how many people are suffering or, or on the borderline, and then we refer to the particular doctor. We also run a helpline that is code with number. It's called 1298 in Mumbai. And 8% of the call are related to Alzheimer's dementia, and 6% of the call related to bureaus. This 24-hour helpline and Silver Inning Foundation is managing this thing. We also, because we we are talking about um, publicity and creating awareness, we also have printed a small information booklet about 10 warning signs of dementia. We have uploaded from ADI website and we have given a credit to it. And we are trying to, this is from our own expense, we are printed so many booklets and we go there and distribute to people. And we also use social media, like we have made a group in Facebook, we have a blog, and I also made a Dementia Alzheimer's Time, an online daily on paperlead.com. So this is somewhere we are using a, a tool, uh, to, uh, a publicity tool. We also celebrate or mark World Alzheimer's Day on 21st September. And this is a week of 15 days activities. We go out and do uh, activities with uh, social science colleges. We go to the nursing colleges. We talk to senior citizens. Sometimes we go to the police um, uh, station or police officer group where we try to educate them. So these are some of the things Silver Inning is doing. And these all services are free, actually. But to survive ourselves and to sustain ourselves, we have started a unique service. It, it's about need-based services. It, uh, it's called Silver Ending Dementia Management Services. It's similar to your genetic management services. 
Here we recognize the United Nations concept and we accept the fact that aging in place and aging in community is very important. And we want to empower and support the family institution. That's why we have started the services. Because most of the families want to keep their family members at home. They don't want to send them to an old age home or long-term care facilities because there are none or there are very few. So we want to keep the elderly at home and we tell them that elderly are best placed at home and they will be better taken care if you are trained properly. So we provide dementia management services once in the week we go there and we provide non-medical care with the person with the dementia. We do the counseling of the family members. We train the caregiver who is employed with them. He might not be knowing anything about dementia and Alzheimer's. In that weekly sitting, we also do mental stimulation activities with the person with the dementia. We try to make a weekly chart of the person of the activity because we believe that is the routine activities that will keep the person with dementia in good health or good mental uh, activities. So we try to uh, help the family. And it's about holistic approach because everything is about human being. And uh, I strongly believe that persons with dementia are also human beings because what we are observing in India uh, is an emerging challenge. But mid middle class people are not ready now to keep their parents at home if they are troublemakers. Troublemakers, what I mean is, person with dementia or whatever, if he is trying to behave funny, they they try to get him to the doctor and they think the doctor will do a magic with the medicine and doesn't help. And they don't want to take any other help and they are not ready for any compromise. They want to ask the parent to go to old age home and they look for this kind of old age home or the places where they can keep their parents. So, but we try to convince person, like today morning I got a call from a person who has a very big house and he says he wants to admit his mother to one of the centers. I told him that there are only six centers all over India. Imagine 100 million population and 3.7 million persons suffering with dementia in India. We have only six centers. And I asked him, why you want to keep your mother um, at some other place, not in your home? So he told me because he is going out for work, his wife is a professor and children are at home and mother, mother is doing quite troubling uh, the family. And I asked him, do you have a caregiver? He said, yeah, but uh, I don't want to keep my mother. Then I, I tried to convince him. I tried to tell him that why are you looking for home? You, you have a very big house, so we can come there. We can see what are the issues in the family. We can make you understand your, that your mother is not doing something purposely. Because mm -hmm. she is suffering from brain disease, she needs some attention. And we need to build a good environment, a human approach around her. And she might be different. And there is no need of medicine at a certain stage. And he agrees. And he, I'm going, in fact, on 29th and meeting the person. This is the way what we do and uh, trying to create awareness among the ground senior citizens and the family members. Also, other thing we do is advocacy and networking. Uh, it's very important because government of India and the state which I live, government of Maharashtra, doesn't have a policy for aging in India. So if you don't have a policy for older person of in the country, you don't have a policy for Alzheimer's dementia because it's the last thing government wants to do. They are not ready to realize 
but the fact that this is a growing number and it is and it is it is a huge challenge for all of us to have this kind of healthcare system where protective healthcare where we can protect a family institution because we have a very good family system government and the civil society people like us should protect the system i think we should learn from the country like yours because i have been to malta for united nation course and uh, the place i have seen you have amazing places uh, to look after people but people are not happy there uh, and we have did one notion when one mindset we we look for like uh, we think all western countries um, people are all in old age home or all in long term care facilities but i, I don't think so only 10% of your elderly population are in such kind of facility most of them are still at home i think and we have to learn something from you and and we have to protect our first family institution and that's what we are trying to do it's hard but we are doing it wonderful yeah. um can you give us a, a couple of examples that you know you you've got so many things going on i just think it's wonderful all your your outlets can you give us maybe a a couple of the most common questions or comments you get on your helpline when people call in yeah, yeah. Most of the common thing is, uh, uh, I can relate. I get a call and they say, uh, uh, my mother is uh, mother or father. They will say, uh, is, uh, you know, and some uh, sometimes she was forgetting something and now she is uh, behaving funny. She is shouting at us and she is throwing the food and she not taking bath. And sometimes they will get they will get a call that uh, there is a fight between a daughter-in-law and the father-in-law. Uh, this is very common then we will get a call that um, please take my mother in law out of my house i don't want her and uh, she is such a big trouble maker and then sometimes we will get a call from husband that wife is behaving funny and she is not meeting my sexual demand uh, and it's surprising sometimes because she suffering for all that and uh, we have to explain the person that it's so difficult at that time Uh, so there are so many um, number of calls most of the common number of calls we get is about um, can can we have a place where we can admit our person that is old age home or such kind of facilities second number of the calls is asking for a trained caregivers and third number of call is uh, about uh, the medicine the treatment uh, mm-hmm. because uh, they keep on changing the doctors because if they go to a particular doctor and if they are not happy they keep on changing the doctor and they read in the newspaper on the net every day there is a news uh, uh, news that some discovery has been there some vaccine has been developed and they call us and it's so difficult to convince people okay yeah. now you had mentioned that there's really limited options for placement there so it's it you know like here we've got nursing homes and assisted livings and memory care units and small group homes and things what types of options are actually there and and uh, mm-hmm. it it sounds like you know you were saying that you know to stay within the family unit is really seen as the best option but are there are there even options for people yeah uh, uh as i said earlier there are only six residential care for them and dementia all over india the mm-hmm. best one i would like to mention is nightingale uh aging and alzheimer center at bangalore it is made in consultancy with alzheimer australia western australia it is it is a benchmark in india for elder care 
amazing elder care facility, not only infrastructure, but very passionate people are there to work with. Then there are around 10 daycare centers, dementia daycare centers in India. Uh, this daycare center provides, uh, you can say, a relief to the family, uh, and it's like a respite care. The person goes, uh, like in Mumbai city, we have Dignity Foundation, where people take a bus ride and go to the center, and they come back in the evening. In the whole day, the person is busy with mental stimulation activity. He's been taking care of the caregiver. He's provided the food, and the family is also busy in their own work. So this is, uh, there are only 10 daycare facilities. There are few home care services, around six. Uh, uh, and Nightingale, again, in Bangalore, Nightingale has amazing uh, module they have developed of medical home care services. And I think this is uh, this demand is increasing more. Uh, there are few support groups. Uh, Alzheimer's Society of India, uh, founded in 1992, has 14 chapters. And most of these 14 chapters have a support group in Mumbai, Alzheimer's Society of Greater Mumbai. We have a sub two support groups, the place I stay at Mida Road and Bandra, um, where we meet once in a month uh, last Saturday. And uh, there are other options like uh, uh, we, have very have, we have very few doctors or clinics who can diagnose Alzheimer's because this is, again, a very important aspect. Until, unless you don't diagnose something, how can you treat or you know, have provide any therapy? So there are some memory clinics, around 100 of them all over India, 67 are supported by the pharma company, and 10 helplines. This is all we have for 3.7 million people suffering with dementia in India. Wow. Wow. Now, as far as the pharmaceuticals, um, you know, are the, are the companies helping at all? I, I mean, I know the medications are expensive. I don't know exactly how your healthcare system works there. You know, we have... Yeah. insurance, but there's a lot of people who are uninsured, you know, we're seeing that more and more here in the U.S. Yeah. How, do pe how do people afford services, or, or is that just yeah. a huge obstacle in and of itself as well? Yeah, again, this is very important because 70% of India, elderly, senior citizens, are in unorganized sector. What I mean by unorganized sector, that they are self-employed and they don't have any pension. So in India, we have to first understand there is no social security. So there is no insurance. So you only can have pension where if you're working with a corporate or in a government job, you save some money and that as a gratuity or a pension fund, you get it at the end of the, uh, your service. But that is not enough. So we don't have any social security or insurance or healthcare insurance for senior citizens. So it it becomes amazing challenge and it, it's very cost you know uh, cost wise it's very troublesome because their doctors in India are very good in prescribing medicine. Mm -hmm. I think I, I would like to place this because uh, they not only give you Alzheimer's dementia medicine but they give, uh, they give you other medicines also. So medicine bills will go around. Uh, 300 to 5,000 Indian rupees per month, and it is too high for any person. This is only medicine. I'm not talking about a diaper. I'm not talking about a caregiver. I'm not talking about other things that cost cost uh, going to have. So pharma company in India have some medicine like Adipets and other things, but only two or three medicine. But that works only as you know in first or second phase. 
we at Silver Lake Foundation, we have been going to lot many workshops and conferences. And we are been informing and advocating for drug-free approach. I have read about Minnesota-based acumen uh, uh, project where they have done uh, research on 10 nursing residents. And a drug-free approach had given a dramatic result because at certain age, at certain stage of Alzheimer's dementia, it's more about care than cure. People, mm -hmm. what is happening, and doctors, especially, they are prescribing medicine, and family members are happy that they are giving medicine, and that's the work they have done. So I think mm -hmm. that's not the right approach. It's the combination of medicine and therapies. Like we, we are only talking about pharmaceuticals. Why don't we talk about alternate therapies? India is huge treasure of different alternate therapies. We have yoga, we have Ayurveda, we have homopathic, you have Inani, you have other things like music therapy or reflexology, but there is hardly any research done in this area. We have our own medicine system and there is no research. So we need to spend government or civil society or corporate or venture capitalists should come ahead and spend money and fund on research on this kind of alternate therapy where they don't have any side effects. I am very admi I admire one um, uh, approach of Eden Alternatives, Dr. Bill Thomas. Uh, I'm a very big fan of this. And his greenhouse uh, it gives us a lot of great input uh, into you know uh, making a greenhouse where the quality of life is provided in intentional communities where privacy, dignity, meaningful activity, relationship, everything is there. So what he says is, dementia is a challenge, but life with dementia can be full of joy and laughter. People with dementia are still people after all. So um, I would also like to mention uh, one uh, geriatric nurse who came from California, Reese Woolen, and she's still there, a good friend. She, uh, she, came and, she came as an angel to India and she bought with her immense knowledge of geriatric nursing care. And she went back and did this training of Eden Alternative Educators. And with her, we, she, when she came back again, when she returned to India, we did two pilot projects of training dementia caregivers. People with approach of killing off, I think there are three plagues, loneliness, helplessness, and boredom. I think if you kill that, I think uh, it's enough. So in, when you talk about pharmaceutical, Eden Alternative says, I believe in that, medical treatment should be servant of genuine human caring and never it mastered. Mm -hmm. So never allow medical treatment to be mastered at that stage when the cure, cure is not going to happen. They need more love and care. And I, I totally recognize the caregiver's problem. They lose the patient. They are restless and they don't have anything to do. But that... That doesn't mean we have to stop there. The family members or the civil society government, we should build a such kind of environment, a support group or facility where we can provide some help to the people at home. Or also we can build long-term care facility where human approach is there, where people are, people are not drugged. I, I, I agree. I, I think the therapies are so important in... So much of the time um, they're overlooked because we're so used to just give them a pill, you know, um, make it go away. And that, you know, all it does is, is mask most of the times the symptoms. And, uh, you know, I have found 
on my journey, you know, of 30 years with my mom with dementia, that it's really, um, to me, she's lived as long as she has because of her social environment. She yeah. is. She ended up moving into a, a nursing home here, which was yeah. of her own choosing because my dad ended up there um, due to his brain cancer, and she just didn't want to be apart from him and okay. said, you know, I, you know, we we got along great. She would have loved to live with us, but she said, you know, we've been together 49 and a half years, and I'm not leaving him now. And to me, that was such a huge awakening of really mm-hmm. looking at the person's um, life and their mm-hmm. base, and the and, and it and it all reached down to relationships, and we forget. Yeah. I think so much okay. of, of the core of our relationships and what do we okay. normally do that might need to be adapted so that we can still do it, what still allows us to have purpose and, yes. and fit in. And, you know, I know as a caregiving daughter for, for both my parents and others, you know, there's times in my fast-paced life where I would just take over and do it because I could do it faster, I could do it better but it isn't about faster or better. And to me, that's really what the disease teaches us, is to slow down and say perfect really doesn't matter because, they're, you know, perfect doesn't really exist for the most part. And so let's just live life to its fullest and let's allow everyone to feel full and purposeful. I agree. I agree. I, I I just want to quote. I want to interrupt you. That there was there is one family, uh, and they had this person with early dementia, and he was working in very good company, and he had the dementia at 52 years of age, and mm-hmm. suddenly the family was in trouble. Uh, there was like he has to leave the job, and the wife has taken over, and the children went small. But the family, what they did. Um, Making the children grow, uh, the wife working, husband at home, uh, he was dementia. She took over and she started a very unique thing. She started living with dementia, started mm-hmm. living with Alzheimer's. As you said, it's very important. She started sharing good moments. She told me when I used to meet her that she never enjoyed, she never had this moment earlier when he did not suffer with dementia. Some very wonderful, unforgettable moments with husband and mm-hmm. they started practicing Siddha Yoga, a yoga, one type of yoga and with meditation the whole family, the son, daughter and the wife could energize themselves and take care of the person. Also they did not have allopathic medicines, they started with the homeopathic medicine and they were such wonderful person and they used to call us uh, when there was a problem and in the last stage of when he was um, suffering from pneumonia, luckily the genetic nurse Reese Woolen was in India that time and uh, again Reese was like an angel who came and we, Reese could go to her house every week and train the caregiver how to do nursing care of the, the person like there were a lot of bed sores and mm-hmm. after he he died last um, six months ago. The family made a YouTube video. It's on the YouTube. They celebrated their life. They captured each moment on the camera. They yeah. they are now informing people. This is what okay. This is Alzheimer's dementia. You don't have to worry. It's like blood pressure or diabetes. 
it's a non-curable. You are living with it. So why don't you live with it? So enjoy each moment. And now they have given this uh, YouTube video, and I go out and show to the people. I said, you have a trouble, but you have. You can't do anything. So we have to live with it, and you have to enjoy it. I would also like to mention one Professor Kathy Greenberg. You must be knowing her. She's a psychologist, a sociologist, and she's a photographer. She uh -huh. came to India last year, uh, and she works with ADI. And she is a photographer. She takes pictures of persons suffering with dementia. She mm -hmm. is the person I will, uh, uh, you know, who inspired me of changing my thought and mindset towards dementia and Alzheimer's. Like everybody here in India, I have to think dementia and Alzheimer's as totally negative aspect. It's a troublesome disease, and we to, and what we did in last 11, 12, 13 years in India. We scared people of not of negativity around the disease. Okay, you'll have dementia, or you will have Alzheimer's. This is a problem. It is non-curable. You can't do this. You can't do that. There is no facility, and we can't do anything. So people were scared. We were not getting people coming out and telling and sharing to us. But Kathy, when she showed a photograph, she made us travel to a journey. It's called Living with Alzheimer's, and she has a book also on that. And now she lives in France. And it, it, the book shows that persons with dementia can apply a good makeup. They can sing and dance. They can play a drum. They can do a ritual, a religious puja or ceremony. They can wear a good sari or good clothes. Uh, mm -hmm. They can go in, in the past and they can become a hunter or they can become a sports person. And the things had changed in that particular center where she was doing all this, and she captured all the moment. And from last year, I have been projecting Alzheimer's and dementia as totally positive side of it. I relate it to a blood pressure and diabetes. You have to live with it. You can't, you know, disregard with it, or you can't leave your parents and go away. So start living with it with the positive side. And believe me, when we talk, when we go and do a talk now, last one year. I'm getting numbers of calls have increased. The numbers of the calls for giving talk has increased. People are now getting referral, word to word, mouth to word. Like they are telling, okay, you can talk to Sailesh or you can go to Silverini Foundation. They will come and do a presentation. And, you know, we tell them about the disease. We tell them uh, what is the cure or what is the treatment available. And then we say, you can still live with it. We give them exercise. We give them some brain gain. And they are so happy. And, and they understand the disease, but they don't go back with a negative thought. They come back to us and tell us that, oh, this person was suffering from this disease. Oh, he is forgetting. He can't remember something. Can you help? Mm -hmm. so I think positive approach uh, might uh, work. And I think if we have all positive, as you said, you have been living with your mother like, so when we enjoy the moment, and then you don't keep it with yourself. Please come and share. We request all the family members through your show. Please come and share and be part of this movement. And the family members can be a good, you know, ambassador to, uh, you know, uh, uh, conquer the disease. We have conquered cancer. We have conquered AIDS. So we can conquer dementia, Alzheimer also. Well, I agree, and I think the positive attitude is is absolutely critical. We've got about five more minutes here. I I, um, yeah. I wanted to ask you: Do you guys have any of the memory cafes over there? Have you started those? The the social no, not yet. 
No, we uh, yeah we have started a support group, but not a memory cafe. But uh, I would love to do that because I need to understand because uh, what I believe and Silver Ring Foundation is about innovation and uniqueness. I think mm-hmm. that is very very important. If uh, if we uh, if we if we think that can work here, of course we will be very happy. But what is happening when we started the support group? I just want to uh, inform you that. Uh, we thought people will come there. Initially, people used to come there three, four, six months, but now people have become very smart because there's a lot of logistic issue in a city like Mumbai, it's a huge, huge city. So people before the before coming, they will give you a call or they will uh, chat on the mail or Facebook and they will take all the information. They will come for the support group, and we have registered to it. I think, uh, yeah, we would need something, some innovation you have, or some uh, something like memory cafe uh, surely will work here in India. Uh, other thing in the last, I would like to also inform that we are doing a research uh, with Columbia University, New York, and mm-hmm. Tata Institute of Social Science, Mumbai, and Pilvarin Foundation about stigma attached to uh, dementia in urban India. We are doing a pilot study. We have already done a pilot uh, in the slum where people, um, uh, lower strata people stay and with the doctors, uh, with the medical professional, with the paraprofessional, and we will be completing this study in uh, 31st December 2011, the pilot study. I think a lot many things will come out of uh, this uh, study, and it, it's really a, it's a big stigma, actually. People don't come out, and uh, other thing is uh, doctors are not there because um, we have to change our medical curriculum because um, Alzheimer's and dementia is not taught. Uh, there's, there's only one chapter in uh, psychiatry. So I think we should, a doctor in India, if he wants to specialize in dementia, Alzheimer's, he has to go somewhere else and do a study. Or we don't have any uh, geriatric uh, medical education. Um, you, don't have, you can't become a geriatrician in India, so you have to get education outside. So whole system... Uh, healthcare industry, the medical industry, the education sector, the civil society, the family members, everybody has to come together to make some difference for people for Alzheimer's and dementia. Yeah, I I yeah. totally, totally agree. Can you tell us, I, and there's a couple of things that you wanted to get in here, can you tell us more about the Alzheimer's and Related Disorder Society of India? I know you wanted to, yeah. to share a little bit of information yeah. on that. Yeah, that's very important because Alzheimer's Related Society of India is a national not-for-profit organization uh, started in 1992. It's dedicated to care, support, and research of dementia in India. Uh, it is committed to create an uh, elder-friendly or dementia-friendly and literate society. It's very important that our chairman, Dr. Jacob Roy, is now a chairman elect to ADI in March 2012. So this is the first Asian, I think, so first Indian who will become chairman of ADI in March 2012 for three years. I think here uh, the experience of Indian family culture or tradition or the struggle what we have will come to the world forefront and uh, we'll get a lot many information and a lot many collaboration because India at present is a developing nation, and especially in Alzheimer's dementia, we need this kind of support. Alzheimer's Dementia Society has around 14 chapters in India, different cities, uh, most of the metropolitan cities like Delhi, Kolkata, Bombay, Bangalore, 
um, all kind of, and we are going to spread to other 21 um, places also. So we are planning to have chapters in every state. India has around uh, more state in it, and we will try to reach out. I think major challenge for Alzheimer Society is um, to get convinced the government to make a dedicated dementia policy to take care of uh, the dementia um, person so that we could make a proper structure, we could provide a proper social infrastructure, a caregiver facility, the training. Alzheimer Society is actually now uh, being called by the Parliamentary Committee and Dr. Jacob Roy met the Parliamentary Committee, the Standing Committee, and had a very good meeting with them. I think the next two years uh, is a very crucial for India dementia movement because government is thinking um, um, on the line uh, of uh, this uh, dementia India report with uh, ARDSI Alzheimer's Society has made. And we will have uh, something very good coming up in next two years, hope so. But of course, not without international collaboration, the national network, we need all together to come together. Uh, to do networking and advocacy together. Special importance is United Nations, ADI, and people like you at Alzheimer's speak. Uh, we need to create a message out there that people, Asian countries and African countries need expertise to treat and uh, have good um, Alzheimer's care because we have diverse languages and culture and so many other issues. We have to translate our book into 21 languages, so information booklet. So it is a big issue for all of us. To reach out to 100 million senior citizens in India is a big challenge. Wow. So uh, we need a big, uh, a big networking. And I think um, personally, I feel like it's a borderless society. Something, uh, something like uh, beyond borders, the doctors beyond borders, or borderless doctors. We need to have. The dementia professionals beyond borders. We need to come together, help each other with our experience, our knowledge. I think that will make real difference. In the end, I would like to say, remember those who cannot remember. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for spending um, this hour with us, Salish. It's just been um, so interesting to hear what you're doing and and what India is going through and the, the promise that you're giving them. I, I love how you're all about trying to remove the fear and what Silver Innings is doing. Um, one of the things that I didn't read um, in part of your um, bio was a quote, and I, I absolutely love this quote. And I don't know if this is a quote from you or if it's, if it's just a quote you like, so you can tell me after I read it, but it says, Forget yourself for others, and others will yes. never forget you. Exactly. And that is, uh, I don't know, in, uh, in an anonymous, uh, I've got um, 11 years ago from somewhere, but this is what my mother used to tell me in my local language when I was small, that everybody works for himself. Nobody works for others. So why can't you be different? So he, he told me that you're doing the family business. You make yourself. God has given you life to make difference, to make use of this life and make difference to people. This is what I'm doing. Wonderful. How do people get a hold of you, Salish? What, what's the best <laughs> mode? Yeah, so they can call me on my mobile. It's 9819891945, or they can send me an email by silverinnings at gmail.com. 
or they can just Google Kailesh Mishra or Silverening. I'm there on the Facebook, I'm there on Twitter, so they can find me. And we'll be very happy to help people and network with like-minded organizations because we are all about networking. I think we we all should work together. I I agree. I agree. So um, again, you can email Silish at silverinnings at gmail dot com, or you can always uh, Google him and his the spelling of his name again is S A I L E. S H, um, and the last name is M is in Mary I S H R A. Thank you, thank you so much for all you are doing and all your foundation is doing. And I, I look forward to um, staying in touch and um, hearing more about you in the future. We're going to go ahead and roll into our next guest here. So again, you have a blessed day, Salish, and thank okay. you for all your time. Thank you. It was my honor to be there. And Lori, you are doing wonderful work. Uh, keep your work up. We'll be there. Okay. Thank I you, will do that. Thank you. Thank our you. next Thank our you. next guest today is Donna Newman. Um, Lucy, Donna brings a loving heart and a sense of joy and toad happy music to her work with the elderly. For 32 years, Donna's focus has been on joy and moving from the heart um, and that has sustained her clients, their family members, and staff. She has a master's degree in dance and expressive therapy. Donna has worked as a board-certified dance and movement therapist with people of all ages and abilities. And she has taught at the Leslie University Graduate School and is a, uh, and is a public relations chairperson for the American Dance and Therapy Association. Donna has developed training for caregivers in nonverbal communication with people with dementia, and she has received the Alzheimer's Foundation of America's 2010 Brodsky Grant um, under the aegis of the Marion Chance Foundation of the ADTA to create a training manual to accompany um, these trainings. So welcome, Donna. How are you doing today? I'm good. Am I on? You are on. We are on live. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I'm excited to have you on and learn more about what all you have been up to over the years and um, how you can help people through dance therapy. So if you wouldn't mind, we'll go ahead and start with my, my first question. I always ask everybody and you know, do you have a personal tie or connection to Alzheimer's disease or dementia? I always find that interesting to see if, if you um, have personally had family or friends um, diagnosed with the disease. Yes, my personal connection with my dad, um, who had uh, vascular dementia, not Alzheimer's. Um, I had been working with people with dementia, but... Um, Funny thing, I didn't recognize it in my own dad. Um, at, at any rate, um, he did have dementia. And in some ways, I think I was lucky because he was pretty dictatorial when I was a kid. And the dementia actually softened him. So it was a lot easier to caregive to him when he had dementia because he was much more loving 
and much more open to receiving love. So it was pretty. It was pretty interesting. But um, what really drove me um, was um, he was in a facility that um, considered themselves cutting edge in elder mm-hmm. care. It was a long-term care facility, and um, it, there were wonderful groups that were provided for him, including dance therapy and art therapy. But the uh, and the nurses loved him. But they didn't know how to relate to him in some ways. Like the the charge nurse certainly did, but the nurse assistants, um, as much as they cared about him, they, they were not educated. So they didn't know how to best communicate with him. So I'll tell you a story. Okay. Um, I was, uh, my dad was um, in his room and there was a nurse assistant in there, and I was walking down the long hall toward his room, and I heard the nurse assistant call out, Mr. Newman, don't ever get up without your walker again. And my father began to yell at her. My heart started to pound because I knew my dad, and I knew that when he started to yell, he was not pleasant, and he was very intimidating. I also knew that he wouldn't hurt her, but... I also knew that she probably wouldn't know that. So mm-hmm. by the time I got to, down to his room, I had calmed myself down, and um, I just said to the nurse assistant, I imagine you must have been really nervous when he got up without his walker. But if you talk to my dad that way, he's going to yell. And she said, I, I didn't talk to him anyway. <laughs> so I knew I lost the battle. And it was a couple of months later that I found out that they put my dad on on, um, medicine so that he wouldn't be intimidating instead of Hmm. training the staff. And that's where where my story really begins in terms of my commitment to that my dad didn't receive the care that I consider is honoring my my mother and father as where, Hmm. you know... As it says in the Ten Commandments, this what we provide for care is not good enough, even in the best facilities. And yet, at the same time, I think that people with dementia actually may do better if they're in a facility than than if they're at home. So the, there's a dilemma, a huge dilemma. So well, and as strange as that sounds, I, I agree with that um, in a lot of ways because of what I went through with my own mom. Um, because, you know, living in our house, she would have still had to fit in to our schedules, you know, work and kids and, uh, you know, normal life. And she lives in a nursing home, and she has for 10 years. And she chose to move into the nursing home because of my dad's illness and didn't want to leave him after 49 and a half years. But what that allowed her was to have her own peers where she did fit in and she didn't have to be rushed and she didn't have to be somebody that she couldn't be anymore. Even though, you know, I look at myself and I train and I speak on this, um, back then I didn't realize that's really what would have happened was she still would have been, you know, trying to get a, a square peg into a round hole because we couldn't totally adopt 
to all of her needs um, at that time. Looking at it now, I would have taken her in uh, very differently than what I would have 10 years ago just because I've learned so much because it really is about the relationships and it is about the social interaction and it's not all about the social pressures that we feel about doing the right thing. Um, and again, with, with the staffing um, being trained, I mean, that's just a critical, critical piece when, when they're, they get defensive, going, well, I, I, didn't, I didn't talk to your dad in any fashion. Well, you heard it, and you know, as I know, that we all react to one another, and having dementia is not going to make, make that change one way or the other. So I think that that's a really valid valid point that you uh that you bring up. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of going down the road? We we understand kind of what got you motivated to go down this road, but um where did you start and and where are you today with trying to make a difference in the world of dementia? Um I began um working with people not so much with dementia as um as people who had psychiatric illnesses this was okay. in 1981 um they they were people who were in a state institution and they had been there they were elders so they had been institutionalized anywhere from 30 to 50 years um and they were they were elders and so in those days, they had had um, lobotomies and shock treatments. So significant mm-hmm. parts of their brains had been fried. Um, mm-hmm. They were most of them were nonverbal, not all, but most of them. And so it was my job uh, to work with them in the state hospital as a dance and expressive therapist. And then they were transitioning; they were being transitioned into nursing homes, where there were other people who have physical and or cognitive disabilities. So it was mm-hmm. my job to um, create the relationship with them in the state institution and then to be there for them in the nursing home when they were transitioned. So I was you know, I was called a transition object um, so that I was the familiar, you know, for a baby it would be a blanket. For, for these elders, it was me. Um, so I was in one place developing a relationship and, um, and then in the new place. Um, that's where I began. And I worked for four years in this um, with these folks. And um, I, I loved the work. I loved it because um, f- people who had not been verbal began to talk. And um, people who were thought not to be able to re- create relationships um, were definitely relating to me and remembering things and um, noticing when I got a haircut or asking me how my trip to Paris was or um, or in one case uh, there was a woman who, with whom I was working and she was about to have a uh, mastectomy and nobody uh-huh. thought to tell her because she was nonverbal and oh, and um, I talked to her about it, and it wasn't an easy thing because she was certainly anxious. But I thought she was going to be more anxious when she found herself without a breast. So um, we had a relationship, and it was meaningful. 
So over the years, um, that was uh, as a dance therapist, I my work has always been part time. So um, that's one of the populations that I've worked with. And um, um, in uh, let's see, I was working in an inpatient psych unit, which was for people uh, at Jero Psych. Um, this is many <laughs> later, and um, it, I really found that I could make a difference, that people would be really anxious, and I knew how to do something that other staff didn't seem to know how to do. That was when I began to think about that I had something to offer to other staff who were not just dance therapists. Mm-hmm. Um, I went on to work in another facility, um, long-term care, for five years um, and provided dance therapy groups there um, regularly. And and the clients always would say things like, I wish I had this every day. Why can't Mm -hmm. we do this every day? Um, So they had a certain level of enjoyment. And that was a place where I worked with people really across the spectrum um, of um, wellness to illness in terms of long-term care. Everyone was there because they needed more care, but some were mm-hmm. cognitively uh, well, um, but physically challenged, and then all the way to the other end of the spectrum where people were cognitively challenged, physically challenged, and uh, behaviorally challenging. Um, so that was, um, and that last group was the one that motivated me the most. Um, I actually loved working with them because it was a challenge. Um, It was a challenge how to reach people who were um, really either, well, in I had one unit where people were um, really, they were at the time uh, in jerry chairs, um, posied or, you know, where they weren't up and about and they were mostly withdrawn, eyes closed, um, nonverbal, not not connecting in their environment at all. And then another floor where, um, another unit where I was, uh, where folks were pretty agitated. And um, so those are my greatest challenges. And really, I loved working with them because, you know, we all want to feel needed. And um, and I could see that I, I made a difference. So, um, again, I... Um, I discovered that if I was able to make a difference, then it wasn't enough for me just to be able to do it. I mean, I'm getting older, so when I can't do this anymore, who who else is going to do it? Um, And one of the jokes that I make, but I'm really not joking, is I want people to know what to do when I get there. Sure. So that has moved me to train, not only training dance therapists to do what I do, but training other staff they're not there are not enough dance therapists and and I want to say that the difference that I make I see my peers who are dance therapists also making in their facilities I see that we are training in nonverbal communication that we're really experts in nonverbal communication praxis there mm-hmm. are other people who observe nonverbal communication but it is our job to communicate non-verbally. That's what we do. So um, I've begun to bring that training, um, like I said, to teach other staff how to relate 
to people, uh, to bring dance to people with dementia, but also how to relate nonverbally to people with dementia. Um, I think that's just huge because we just take that segment of our life for granted so much, all our nonverbals. You know, we, we pick up the cues and we process them and then we'll make a judgment, you know, of how someone's acting and whatever. But we don't sit back and go, I'm doing the same thing. I'm giving off all these nonverbals that people are picking up on. And so it's really important for us to be conscious of what our nonverbals are because it does affect others. And a person with dementia might process them very different than someone who doesn't have dementia um, just because of where they're at and how their brain is connecting. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about your your company and um, how your your particular products and stuff can help people. I know you said that there's like kind of four prongs um, to the dance connection and maybe start there. Sure. Um, so my the, the name of my company is Dance for Connection. Um, it's a fairly new name. Um, the products and services are not new, but um, I finally I'm working on the branding. So Dance for Connection is the the brand. The first thing I do um, is directly um, provide services, um, dance therapy with elders and people with dementia in my locale, which is the Boston area and Eastern Massachusetts. Um, the second part of it is training caregivers and staff. Um, how to, as I was saying, dance with people with dementia and um, an embodied approach to nonverbal communication. Um, so I want to say that, in fact, people with dementia are more sensitive than those of us who are verbal to, non, to the nonverbal communication. In, they are actually more aware and more sensitive. Uh, my understanding of that, this may or may not be accurate, but our minds are busy with words, um, and we have plans. We're thinking. We're, um, as you said, we're interpreting, and um, so our, our minds are busy. When somebody doesn't have that language running through, that constant streaming, then they are open to the present moment, and they're like sponges. So when I've trained staff and I say, "Did you know? have you ever noticed that people with dementia are more sensitive than the rest of us, they get it right away. They'll say, frequently they'll say, oh, yeah, they know I'm in a bad mood before I know it. So mm-hmm. staff are aware of that. So that's the second prong. It's training caregivers. The third prong is a product that I designed called the Octoband. The Octoband is a tool for experiencing a sense of connection with others through multi-sensory modalities. So through the tactile, they can feel it. Through the kinesthetic, again, they feel it in their own bodies. Uh, through the visual and the auditory. So um, uh, appealing to multiple senses. The Octoband looks like an octopus for me or the sun. It has a center circle and it has rays or tentacles that radiate out from the center. It's made out of spandex, um, bright colors, and at the end of each of the legs or tentacles, there's a loop which can go over a person's wrist or over their ankle or over their elbow, depending upon their particular challenges. 
for people who don't cognitively don't know to hold on or physically um, have constrictors and can't hold on, this helps them to stay connected. It's used very similarly to the parachute, um, which is used for movement with elders um, and with children, actually people across the lifespan. Um, but the difference is that for um, a person with dementia, if they can't or don't know to hold on, the octoband loop helps them to stay connected. The other thing is that they're actually feeling their sense of connection through the material. Now, those of us who are verbal connect through words. And our tendency often is to connect through words before we connect through the nonverbal. Or, or both channels are working at the same time. For a person with dementia, they, even for people, I, this is what's amazing to me, is that even people who don't generally join in things want to be part of it. They're drawn in. Uh, I can't say why they're drawn in, but I think it's because the sense of connection to other people is, they're so desperate for it that they they're drawn in. So that's the third prong of my business. And the fourth prong is um, a dance, an intergenerational dance company called Back Pocket Dancers. And um, we have a program designed for um, to go into elder facilities and perform in a, a community room or space of some kind or on a stage. So we can be in a really fairly small space or a larger space. And um, as I said, we go in and perform. We have a one-hour program. Um, and that's the four prongs of my business. Well, I love on your website you've got um, some video there. It kind of shows how the Octoban it works and stuff. And I, I, I think that that's great for people to be able to see um, how how it is used and and things. Can you share with our listeners, you know, why you developed the products and, and services um, that you have, and and how you see it helping people, both uh, people with dementia and their caregivers? Sure. Um, well, let me talk about the Octaband first. Um, so I was working on the unit where I was I said that people were behaviorally challenging, and what I found would happen is um, the, uh, these uh, the people on these two units in particular that I'm that I'm talking about um, are mid to late stage dementia. Um, that's where they are in the spectrum, and um, what I found was that at this stage people their motivation no longer is external. There were some for whom it could still be external, but for many, they, they I, and again, I don't know the reason for this. What I know is that they were no longer able to respond to somebody else's request to do something. So a request would land on, you know, what seems as though they were deaf ears. Um, so I would find that if I used a particular piece of music, I could engage somebody. If I 
used a, did a particular kind of movement, I could engage them, or a particular prop. But that meant that one person would be uh, connected for a, a few minutes maybe and another one in, uh, for a different few minutes. But getting everybody to connect at the same moment just wasn't happening. I couldn't... I couldn't get that sense of group cohesion, which is what I believe is really healing, um, that really it's about when our connection to each other that is what heals. So um, in one of the images that dance therapists have, um, when a, um, people are difficult to engage in this way, is they see themselves the therapist as the hub of the wheel and the interactions with the group members as spokes of the wheel. So I had this, when I was working in the inpatient psych unit, I noticed that that was diagnostic. If I, was, if I would throw a balloon to people and they would throw it back to me and never threw it to another group member, that told me something about where they were on the spectrum of abilities and disabilities as far as their ability to connect with others. Mm-hmm. So I began to notice that and to see that image of myself as hub of the wheel. And then when I went into the long-term care with these two groups in particular, I noticed it again. And I thought, what would happen if I created this wheel? What if I made something that looked like this wheel that had a center circle and spokes that came off of it, would I then be able to sit, not just physically, but psychically, would I be able to be on the perimeter of the circle where I would just be another group member? I mean, yes, I have other, I have the responsibility for holding the group, but could I step out of that role to some extent? And so I created the first octoband, and um, I had one gentleman. Well, so the so there was another another piece that actually uh, motivated me. There was one woman whom I I'm going to call Anne, and Anne had um, it, she would allow me to mirror her movement. That's reflecting back. That's one of the primary tools a dance therapist uses, which is. Um, reflecting back what a person is doing in movement. Not necessarily imitating or mimicking exactly, but some aspects of the movement, which lets them know that they're seen and heard. And um, this is our most effective tool. It begins at birth, and um, it's how we bond with people. So for Anne, Anne would allow me to mirror her movements, except when she did certain ones. One of those was when she'd um, use her thumb and forefinger in a way that looked as though it was a gun or a pistol. Mm-hmm. And when I did that back to her, playfully, she would start to yell and and get really uh, aggravated and would um, her behavior would escalate. And I couldn't do anything at that point to calm her down. And the other thing that she would do was stick out her tongue at me. And, again, I would stick my tongue out back at her, uh, again, playfully. But she did not experience it that way, and she would get very aggravated. So I thought, well, what is it that she's doing at those moments that um, I want to honor and respect 
And how can I give an, her another way to express that without being, you know, shouting and getting really aggravated and agitated? Um, so how I thought about that developmentally was that she was expressing her need to um, be an independent human being. When when we are doing those particular things developmentally, when we're sticking out our tongues, or um, it's about being um, autonomous. And so, what mm-hmm. we would do if developmentally, is we would, as young children, is we stamp our feet. Mm-hmm. And um, so, stamping was certainly one thing that I would do with her and others. Um, and um, but I wanted to give her the opportunity to push, but I couldn't figure that one out without doing it one-on-one. So I thought, well, pulling is another one, is another way of, of, of um, differentiating ourselves from other people. I'm separate from you. I pull. So I created the octoband, and I used it first on that unit. And what happened was I put it into people's hands, there were um, eight people in that group, and I put it into their hands, and um, I pulled, and I just, I, I just did what was intuitive for me, which was mine, which is part of that mm-hmm. beginning differentiation, and and they they all did it with me. That was remarkable for everyone to do the same thing, and then I, I wow. thought, uh oh. Now what do I do? Now that we've pulled it back, and then I just released it into the center, and I said, ours, and they released it with me. So then we had this thing going, a mine, ours. And she did it with me, and it was a way of getting her to um, assert her need for her autonomy without being agitated. She didn't have to get uh, upset about it. At the same time, there was another woman who was so withdrawn that I would watch her during groups to make sure that she hadn't died because she didn't no longer participated in groups. She used to love music and she used to love to participate, but over time she'd stopped. And for this woman, the octavian slid out of her hand and she, she reflexively... Um, she her eyes opened. They had not been opened in my group for months. She mm-hmm. reflected, moved forward to catch the octoban leg. And then once her eyes were opened, she participated in the group. This is a miracle. So that was the experience that I had, and I continued to use the octoband with my groups for a couple of years. And I had one gentleman in a group who said, this is... A, Amazing, he said. You invented this? And I said, yes. He said, you have to make these. You have to sell them. And I just shrugged and said, well, you know, yeah, sure. But I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and um, and then finally I went to the Dance Therapy Association conference. And I told my peers who were working with people with dementia, I said, I, I created this product and um, I want somebody to make it. And they said, don't tell us about it. You make it. And we'll buy it. And I said, mm-hmm. well, I don't want to. Well, too bad. <laughs> so I learned from an improvisational dance teacher, Barbara Mettler, many years ago, that it's not about your ego. It's about 
you, when, when you see the need in a dance for something to happen, you have to make it happen. It's not about ego. It's not about I don't want to or I want to be, you know, I want to have the solo. You step in because there's a need. So I stepped in to fill the need. Created the product. Um, and that it is being used around the world, not only with people with dementia, but across the lifespan, across abilities. Everyone loves it. It's just extraordinary um, because people with special needs, they especially need to feel their sense of belonging. Um, so that's the octaband. Um, I, I don't know. Do I, think, I guess I want to give you a space to ask a question or whatever if you have yeah. any well, I was I was looking at you know at the website and um, I, I thought that this was really interesting because like you said it's for all ages can play can can play with this game and be part and some of the the comments it looks at and the benefits of it are promoting individuality and creativity inviting inclusiveness which I think is so important you know feeling part of a group reinforcing that group cohesion, um, the heightened alertness, um, encouraging cooperation, focusing attention, enhancing liveliness, and then stimulating the imagination. And it really is. It's it's fun. It's colorful. And then you have um, different games for different ages and different abilities um, that you've put together. So it's not, okay, this is the only thing you can do with <laughs> the octoban. Um, so there's really quite a variety out there, and you know it's something. I mean, even multi generational could easily um, do together. Um, and I don't know if you've ever tried that with kids and maybe the elderly um, or um, people with disabilities. Have you tried anything on that order in terms of it's being, it's being used intergenerationally? I don't have access. Mm -hmm. to it moment I don't have access to that population, I certainly would love to do that. Um, and at the same time, um, um, there are people certainly using it in that way. Um, I have a colleague, Heather Hill, in Australia, who does a group called Family Matters. And she uses, um, that's for kids who have challenges, and there are people across the lifespan who use it. Um, people love it, because if children love it and seniors love it, it's a, something fun to do together. Um, some, uh, someone said um, that they used it with, um, they have a group with, uh, where teenagers from the community come in. And, you know, the kids don't necessarily know what to do with the elders. So yep. here you put it in their hands and everybody's engaged and lively and it makes everyone happy because they're looking around at other people smiling. And it's contagious. And actually... Yep. People, the staff who are, are and um, who are looking on, it makes them happy as well. Because nothing makes us as happy as when our clients are doing well. So, um, yeah. So people are using it intergenerationally, for sure. Yeah, I, I think that that's fantastic. And, and one of the biggest problems I, I do think that people have is how do I engage with this person who they perceive as being so different. And this game allows you to realize we're, we're all not so different <laughs> in a lot of ways. And we can still interact and we can still have fun. Um, and, and, again, having fun is something that uh, so much of the population has a difficult time doing when someone is 
disabled or ill. Um, they feel like the the fun bucket got tossed out the window, and it's probably needed even more <laughs> so than that. And so I, I just think it's a great, great tool. And, you know, and it looks like it's very reasonably priced, too, um, which is wonderful because so many things can get so expensive in terms of trying to um, implement things. Um, are you comfortable talking about um, the price of the, the Occupant? So if we've got some communities listening, I know they can always go to the website, but I'm sure some are curious in terms of the cost because I, I think it's very, very reasonable and it looks very durable as well. Um, yes, it's uh, the Octavian. Actually, uh, in January first, the price goes up um, to reflect the, my increased costs. Unfortunately, um, I try to keep it down, and um, because I want it to be, to be in people's hands. Um, so the, there's an eight-leg Octaband, which is currently fifty-five dollars, and after the first of the year, it will be sixty dollars um, plus shipping, and the um, a uh, 16 leg is currently $88 and that will be $92 after the first of the year. Okay. Great. Which um, again for for group activity is um I think very reasonable and something that you know can be used in so many different ways too. Which yes. Um I I think there are many uh, assisted livings that have it on their calendar. Um I've discovered uh, and I wanted to just um, say something about play. I think the mm-hmm. play is so greatly undervalued in our culture, not just with people with dementia, everyone. People I agree. don't, you know, even we don't even let children play anymore, never mind. Even in utero we're teaching them the alphabet and who, you know, what conductor, it, you know, is or, or what composer created which music. I mean, there's no, we just are really not... Uh, we don't allow ourselves to play. Um, so I I, I want to say a couple of things about that in relation to um, people with dementia. One thing is, they there are people who have dementia who don't move very much, but they can. They have the ability. So if we would get them to move, that gets their their that gets their circulation going. They're mm-hmm. lively. They're filled with life. I think, well, if I were in the last days of my life, what would I want to do? I would want to live as much as I could. So why not have them be as lively as possible? And I see that n- no one gets people to move the way dance therapists do. Dance, you know, is different from exercise. Exercise, it may get some people moving, but dance, Using music, even more so. And then it's not just music. People don't view dance as exercise. I mean, as a structured exercise because it's associated, I guess this would be my definition, it's associated as a pleasure um, versus, versus a workout. But, I mean, it's associated with fun memories and things and um, working out isn't always in in a lot of people's minds. We've got a, a caller here, so I want to just take a question. And um, if you don't mind, we've sure. got a caller from from a five six two number. You're live, and what is your question? Hi, um, my name is Laura. I'm a dance visit therapist, and 
Um, I I don't really have a question for Donna, but I wanted to comment about the fact that I actually use um, the Octaband in my groups with um, individuals with dementia and Alzheimer's, and I've done so for years. And um, I just wanted to kind of attest to the fact that it is really effective with my patients and bringing them together into a group and um, creating that inclusiveness with the individuals who aren't able to connect on their own, and um, I wanted to also just attest to the fact that the product lasts forever because it's been used a lot, and it's really resilient. So I just wanted to um, thank her for her product. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you for calling in. I, I just I, I think that that's fantastic. It, it looks very durable, and it looks it looks just fun and engaging when you see it. Um, and so, it, 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 do you use it with a, any particular population, Laura? Um, I've used it with. <clears throat> I've worked in a numerous in numerous settings. I've worked in geropsych, psych, in assisted livings, and um, psych hospitals. So I've worked with. <laughs> individuals with um, severe dementia, just active older adults who are okay. um, not suffering from any sort of impairment. I've, I've worked it with in groups who have different um, different populations. I've worked in psych hospitals where some of the patients have um, might be suffering from schizophrenia or depression and also Alzheimer's um, where it's a mixed population. And that's also an amazing an amazing time to um, for it to be used in a way that's inclusive. Because when you're working with people who are coming from such such deeply different diagnoses and different needs, um, it can be difficult to try to get them all involved in the group at once. And that's that's one of the strengths of this particular prop is that it kind of evens the field for everybody. And I, I heard earlier Donna was speaking about. Um, you know, just leveling that playing field and, and playing that game of mine, ours, mine, ours, and having something that we can all relate to on some sort of basic level. And um, I've seen it erupted to just glorious laughter and joy and connections being made that um, otherwise just a few minutes before it was a room of, of very disconnected people, very... Um, a state of depression and desolation, and then you bring in this very festive, colorful, mobile product that inspires the imagination because it's it's unusual and it's unique and it, and it can move in these different ways. And it's it's um, I, I think as a dance movement therapist, you know, we're trained to to know how to improvise with these sorts of tools. But I think this this prop um, would be found to be useful with anyone because it is just so versatile and you just throw it into the to the to the mix and if you come into the, the room with a sense of of play and curiosity, I think wonderful things can happen. Um even with staff who aren't perhaps trained at the level of the graduate level. So it's a it's a great tool. Well great. Well thank you for calling. Um Donna, did you have any other comments you wanted to, to make? So Laura's comment. Uh, thank you, Laura. And um, I just, I, I just want maybe to ask you a question. Um, do you find that you get um, people with dementia 
to um, be more lively in your groups than you otherwise see them? Absolutely. Um, You know, sometimes I I think what happens there is that, you know, in in a group with varying levels of dementia, if I'm not using the octoban and I'm trying to use music to get them involved and get them to connect um, to the rhythm and to themselves and, and trying to get them to connect to the whole group, it's um, it's a very challenging task and it is very exhausting on on my end to be that person to try to keep pulling each of them in. And with this prop, because it connects everybody with that tactile kinesthetic sense of just connecting to this fabric um, that I don't have to be that source of energy pulling everybody in together and trying to keep them together. And one person across the group pulls on it and, and the people on the other side feel that tension and they have an automatic response to it. And I'm not involved in that at all. They they are co-creating that energy, basically almost asking of each other to be involved. And it it will become much more lively <laughs> oftentimes than um, if I'm not using the octoban for some reason. I think it's a wonderful way to, to get their movement up, to... Um, get their energy up, and definitely um, to get them more interactive in a way that's much more difficult when you don't have something like that connecting them. Thank you. That That is the experience that I have, which is that, it, 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 that I step out of the center, that it really worked for me to be able to, for the group leader to step aside and let the group um, create the synergy. So thank you. Right. Thanks for good. Thanks for calling in, Laura. <laughs> Appreciate it very much. Thanks so, for having this topic. This is great. Bye-bye. Good. Bye. Thank you. Well, that was always fun to, to get a call and to hear such positive things about your, your product. That's um, fabulous. And I think any way that we can connect people, um, the better the better we're all. We all are. Can you tell us um, maybe some of your biggest surprises that you found using, you know, dance therapy uh, with clients in terms of of um, outcomes or comments? Uh, sure. Um, I think. Mm, well, one way I'm surprised again and again is. I believed that relationships are mutual, but when I see it and when I experience it with people who are so um, very withdrawn and um, that they come out of their withdrawn state to interact with me, and I I receive a gift. I feel as though I've just been gifted in a way that nothing makes gives me as much pleasure. I, nothing. That's well, my that- biggest um, well, it's a, and that's neat. Joy. When you yeah. give of yourself and you get and you get something back, um, especially when you're not anticipating that coming in the first place, and I and I think that that's something that we all forget, and is a very natural response. Is when we give, we usually do get back more. Um, when we just 
kind of quiet ourselves and enjoy the moment um, and, and stop looking at the task, but really become part of the moment. Um, there's just always so much to embrace and so much to learn with that. Um, anything else that you might want to yeah. add regarding? Sure. There's um. This is, has to do with the nonverbal communication training piece. So there was a gentleman um, whom I um, um, I developed a relationship with in a, in a, on the inpatient uh, Jarrow psych unit, and um, he was somebody who didn't respond to music. Um, so I would walk with him. He just would walk the halls, and I would walk with him. And he would point to a picture and say some things, but I wouldn't really necessarily understand what it had to do with the picture or but I would repeat one of the words that maybe I did understand or or I would just mirror the sound of his voice, um, just kind of murmuring, but not, you know, we couldn't have a conversation because I really didn't understand what he was talking about, but I could let him know that I was with him. So, um, and then eventually I got him to come into the dance therapy group where um, one of the tools that I use is a balloon. He did not, as I said, he did not respond to the music. He didn't move to it. Um, but he did use the balloon in such a way that let me know that, like he would slam the balloon to me. But to a frail old lady, he would very delicately send it to her. So I saw that he had skills. He had people skills, even though he couldn't speak. So he and I had an ongoing relationship because over time he was readmitted to the hospital many times. So... Um, one, at, but toward the end, he was um, becoming combative. And because he and I had a good relationship, um, they were bringing, uh, this, a couple of the female staff were bringing him in to be toileted. And um, they called security in because that was what they had to do these days. So there were two women and two men. And I said, I have a good relationship with John. Would you like if, for me to come in and see if I can help in any way? And they said, sure. So I walked into the room, and I felt, when I walked into the room, I felt as though I was hit with a wall of emotion. And again, this is a tool that dance therapists use, to use their own experience as a way of understanding what might be going on for a client. So I just checked into myself, and I thought, okay, what am I feeling? And I thought, deep embarrassment. And I just said out loud, John, it must be really embarrassing to do something so private as going to the bathroom with four, with so many people looking on. Now, this is a man who's not verbal. He's not been able to speak for a long time in a way that's intelligible. He immediately stopped fighting, immediately, and was totally compliant. That has happened to me many times and is why I now t train people in nonverbal communication. What I'm teaching, what I'm trying to teach people to do is to be in their own bodies so that they can pick up on the emotions and, and uh, experience for themselves empathy and what might be happening for this person and to verbalize it because it's an amazing tool. So that is another thing that, uh, again, uh, time and again, I've I've been surprised that I've had an, uh, been able to have an effect that the nursing staff that who know them day in and day out aren't able to do. So um, again, that's you know 
my surprise. Well, that's uh, those are very very important um, surprises, you know, to acknowledge. Um, where a lot of people would just let them run over and wouldn't listen, or wouldn't take the time um, to really look in, a little bit deeper into a situation as to what is what is causing the outcome or the behavior, as we like to like to call it, over here. Um, why don't you give people? We've got about uh, just four minutes here left, but I want to make sure that you're able to give people your contact information that you'd like them to have. And so if you want to tell them if it's websites or emails or whatever, uh, what you would like them to be able to uh, to reach out to you if they're interested in talking with you further. Sure. My email address is Donna at Octaband.com. That's Donna at O-C-T-A-B-A-N-D dot com. My website is www.octaband.com. And I also have a blog where I blog about dance therapy, about dance and about dementia and inspirational topics. Um, And that is www.dancetherapymusings.com. So that's my contact. Great, great. Now, I know that you um, also give back um, when you're making a difference with dementia. And can you tell people um, how you are um, giving back? Um, I know on the sales of the Octoban, you do something with your proceeds, if you wouldn't mind sharing that. Sure. Ten percent of the net profi- proceeds from the uh, Octoband I donate to um, uh, dementia research. Um, initially, I donated it to the Alzheimer's Association, um, and I requested that they um, use that money for social science research. But I don't really get back any stories about how the Alzheimer's Association is making a difference in um, in social science research. My concern is that as much as medication is needed to keep people from having dementia in the future, we have so many people with it now, and I want to make a difference now with people who already have it. So I now donate to the Marion Chase Foundation of the American Dance Therapy Association. Um, So 10% of the um, profits from the Octoband go to social science research for dementia. On the I think that's great because uh, there's a lot of people don't understand what social science is, but it basically is about the interaction piece um, of people versus the science for, you know, a medication per se. I, I guess it would be the simplest way to to uh, sum that up. Well, I thank you so much for your time um, with us today. This hour has just blown by. Are there any uh, last things that you would like to comment on or um, say to our audience before we have to sign off here? Um, I think that being in the present moment, I, I heard your previous speaker talk about that, there's a, a tremendous gift that we have to learn from people with dementia, and that is to be present. And um, it's only in the present that we actually are, provide love. We give and receive love in the moment. Um, it's 
in the present moment that we can um, console another human being and that we can play. So um, being in the present moment, I'd say, is of utmost importance. That's great. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Donna. I um, I greatly appreciate all the insight that you gave us, and I'm glad we were able to share the, the Octavan with people because I think it's just a miraculous tool, um, something that's very simple and easy for people to use. So thank you so much for your time. For all of you listening, um, I thank you for being with us today. If you like the show, please pass it on. You can like it and tweet about us and Help us spread the word about Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. Our next show coming up will be on the 5th, and we are going to be talking about medical concierge services. And then we have an announcement from the American Academy of Neurology will be with us. Um, And then on the 24th of January, we're actually going to redo the program with an Alzheimer's Disease International because we had some technical difficulties. But thank you so much for being with us, and we look forward to having you on our show in the future. Bye now. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.